Welcome back to episode 14 of the Service Design Podcast. I'm David Morgan from Nightmoves, and together with Stina van Hof and in collaboration with the Service Design Network, we have conversations about service design with practitioners from around the globe. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Per Christiansen, who many know as a LEGO Serious Play master trainer, and who played a large role in defining LEGO Serious Play as we know it today. We're big fans of the method ourselves, so we really enjoy talking to Per, and hope you do too. This episode of the Service Design Podcast is brought to you by Kingdom, a playful yet incredibly powerful card game for co-creation. You can get Kingdom at kingdomcards.be and use the discount code PODCAST to get a 10 euro discount. So hi, Bear. Thanks for uh, making time for, in your very busy schedule to uh, have a chat with us. My pleasure. <laughs> so for the people who, uh, who don't know you yet, could you please uh, introduce yourself briefly? I'm Per Christensen, and I'm a facilitator and trainer and one of the people that really developed the LEGO Serious Play method. Based on some research that had been done at LEGO, we developed uh, really the, the method back in the, let's say, early 2000s. So it was mm-hmm. Robert Rasmussen who really spearheaded it, and I joined shortly after, and, and together we developed, you said, the whole training program and, and methodology. Mm-hmm. And I'm based in Denmark, but never home, as you indicated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Giving workshops all over the world, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Workshops and, and, and training programs. So workshops where I use the method with my own, mm-hmm. let's say, in clients, mm-hmm. and training programs where I train other facilitators in using the method so they can use it with their clients. Okay. Is that what your uh, current uh, days look like? Giving trainings and workshops with Lego serial play, serious play, or are there? Yeah, <laughs> that's my entire. That's my. That, that that's by every moment almost. So, so yeah, okay. that's what I do. That's the only thing I. Well, only, but that's um. Yeah, that's the only thing I do. Great. Trying to go for a let's call it fifty fifty, so that I partly work with my own client and partly train others. Right. So I think a lot of our listeners will be very familiar with uh, Lego Serious Play. I think a lot of service designers do make use of uh, of the tool and the methodology. Um, but I'm sure there's also some people who do not know what Serious Play is. Could you give a brief uh, explanation of that as well? Yes. So so Serious Play or Lego Serious Play is um, is a method. It's a it's a technique which was developed at Lego. Uh, about 15, 16 years ago, 16 16 years ago. Initially, it was developed, let's say, for internal use inside LEGO to develop strategies for uh, for LEGO and for departments. And from, let's say, that initial method, we then condensed, or from that initial workshop, I should say, we then sort of really developed a methodology that is now being used for a sort of broad variety of, of uh, challenges or you know, business issues of various kind. It's based on well, a set of beliefs, 
but also a set of theories sort of centered around play and the notion of, let's call it constructionism. So this idea that by manipulating modular objects, you accelerate your thinking process and your learning process, you activate more of your brain. And, and then it's based on this notion of building or creating metaphors and stories is an efficient way of communicating. So you can say play, hands-on thinking, and, and this notion of story making as a means of communication are three key pillars in, in the method. So it's really a method and a language that can be used to any kind of challenge, basically, where there's not one right or one specific solution, but you want to unlock all the knowledge um, in the group and within each person. Yeah. You say it can be uh, applied to any kind of challenge. What kind of challenges do you think the method uh, really works? No, I, I think really, I mean, I wish I could really keep you like with this kind of challenge, but I really think mm -hmm. it is for any kind of challenge with yeah. <laughs> more than one right solution where there's a courageous manager present. Mm -hmm. So what I'm seeing with the people that I'm training is that they typically, they bring it in to the domain that they work in. So when people work in coaching, they bring it into their coaching. When people work with project management, they bring it in there. When they work with change management, they bring it in there. And service design, they bring it in there. Mergers, well, mostly reorganization, they, they bring it in there. So it, it really cuts across. I think what sometimes is a little bit difficult initially for people to understand is that it's not meant for children. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people see Lego and they think, ooh, children. <laughs> and it, it, it frankly doesn't really work that well with children. Mm -hmm. it's, it's based on the adult brain, right? Mm -hmm. and there are differences between adults and children in terms of brain development. And the other thing that people often associate Lego series play or the Lego break with is teaching. Mm -hmm. And with that, I mean that a given person knows the answer and they want to help other people understand that answer, just like a good teacher does in school, right? They, they all know how to do math and they're teaching the kids how to do math or physics. Mm -hmm. And the Lego break does do or does work really well for that. But, That's not like a serious play. It's just like having a brush in your hand doesn't make you a painter or does mean you can do calligraphy. Like um, it, it's just a, a, it's a means, right? It's a tool. Mm -hmm. It's a tool. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, uh, my limited uh, experience with uh, Lego serious play, I have indeed seen the, the expectation at first where people think, oh, Lego, that's for kids uh, making jokes mm -hmm. about whether well, my kids will be jealous. But uh, sometimes, yeah, that's the most skeptical people who in the end uh, are most active and productive with uh, with it. That completely resonates with my experience. And I think these skeptical people, they have a really good reason for being skeptical. And and they often end up being the, mo the kind of participant that contributes the most because typically they're skeptical because the Lego breaks, just like you say, sends a really confusing signal. <laughs> and they're typically skeptical because of that signal and because they really care about the topic that's going to be worked on. So they wonder, how can we take this extremely important topic with these very smart people in the room and then use Lego bricks. But then when they realize that it works 
and it makes those really smart people even smarter. And like you say, they, they typically become the most sort of um, convinced or the happiest or whatever term we use, participants. Yeah, but I think that's what the method does really well. Like you always have these people saying, I'm not creative or I cannot do this. This is not for me. But then building up like a, building a model, the small steps that people have to take, like just first make just one figure that is very clear what they have to make and then start becoming more creative. I think mm -hmm. that's really amazing to see what kind of process people go through in no, totally. actually and then, yeah, thinking in metaphors even after like half an hour. <laughs> but there, there's no one who's not creative. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the first things to, to really go with this is that, and personally, I actually don't like the word creativity, but, but let's just stay with it for now. There is no one who is not creative. You cannot not be I mean, you can be conditioned into thinking that you're not. You can be working with tools that doesn't allow you to unlock your your thinking potential. But no one is not. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen. If any any child is born with the potential for being what we sometimes call creative, <laughs> and this is exactly what the owner of Lego back in you know in the 2000 he wanted to unlock that potential in each and every person in his company because he believed and beliefs that people go to work to do well and they have the potential to do well. So when we don't do well, it's not because of our potential and our intention. It's because the tools that are used to unlock our potential. But like you say, lots of people think they're not because creative yeah. is a difficult word or they've been put into a box for way too long and they were, they've mm. been beaten over the head. And whenever they try to think themselves, they were beaten even harder over the head. <laughs> then we learn not to think, right? Mm. Yeah, it's true that we really, when we're growing up, we're not learning to be more creative, but we have all these strict rules. And then yeah. if you put this box of Lego in front of people again, they, in the beginning, I, I always think they're very afraid of it. Sure. <laughs> but it's nice to see that you, you can get them uh, in the process with these little exercises. Is that actually something you also developed? You were part of that, the process of how can we get people into uh, using the method and yeah, is, yeah, was there yeah. certain research behind it or how did you come to design yes to like all, this? Yes to all of it. Yes to all <laughs> of it. So mm -hmm. I think a good analogy here is, is uh, it's like research and development in pharmaceuticals. You know, there's research, which is the really early stage, which I wasn't involved in. And mm -hmm. then there's development sort of when you start having the molecules and, and you continue the work. So I wasn't part of, just to be completely frank, in the very early days. This was a couple of outside professors who, who started to scratch the surface and they they came up with something that started to work. And then Robert, my, let's call it colleague, but we also competitors and we're also friends, but let's for now call him colleague. That's where he came in and really started to get a structure to this. And then in the company, called executive discovery, we really started to understand what this, what this, what Lego series play is. And we started to figure out what are the actually, what are the components in this that work so that we could strengthen those and we could go back to research and find more explanations. And then we developed the thing you're also pointing to, which we call skills building, these steps that it takes for people to feel familiar and reacquaint themselves with the Lego bricks and realize that they have this power between their ears <laughs> right? and realize this notion of that when you do like a straight play, you actually, you can't be wrong. And just knowing that you can't be wrong 
makes a big mm-hmm. difference. And realizing this, this fact that we're not building anything that looks like anything. And you, mm-hmm. I, I'm certain you guys have seen this, but, and you said this before when you said metaphors. So we're not building anything that looks like anything. Mm-hmm. Because that's a skill that some of us have and some of us don't. Some of us are very good at building things that that looks like something else, mm-hmm. which is how children typically use Lego bricks. They use it to represent things in their outer world. I'm not very good at that, and lots of people aren't very good at that. But with Lego Series Play, what you're building is something that represents something, let's call it, in, in your inside, in your internal world. You're, not, you're, you're building a meaning not a representation of something else. Mm-hmm. And there we are all completely equal. And and often often you will see people that haven't played with Lego bricks at all, as in ever, never. Um, after an hour, you, their models are absolutely as complex as the Lego fans' models are. I was just in Thailand two weeks ago and there were there were people in that session that never touched a Lego brick before. I did some work in Pakistan earlier this year, and, and people that had never seen a Lego brick before. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But that's again, that's a, it's a tricky one to come over in the first thirty minutes. They really need to go like, oh, so it doesn't matter that I've never done this. Okay, fine. And, and sometimes these people are even, let's say, better at it because they're starting not with a preconceived understanding of what the brick is and what the brick can do. They just mm-hmm. just approach it, and sometimes mm-hmm. they build. Sometimes they build in a manner that for for us may look like upside down. So the knobs on the brick are actually facing downwards. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, it's just that they're facing upwards, right? That's just mm-hmm. us because we're Western Europeans. We're limited. Yeah, <laughs> in a way, we are right. Mm-hmm. So. Uh. That's that's something that that comes back several times in the conversations we have is uh, the difference in in design and processes around the world. Do you find doing these workshops and trainings around the world that different countries respond differently to the method, or do you find that it is universal across uh, the planet? I I really find that the method is universal. So it completely transcends culture. Now, I also find that, or maybe I should say, however, I also find that people's expectations to the method, to themselves, or to Lego bricks, they vary across culture. But once they are in play, it completely transcends culture. There is no culture anywhere on this planet where play and stories are integrated into the culture. Every every single culture has a storytelling tradition. In every single culture, there is play. I mean, you always argue whether play is biology or culture, but let's say that it's both. And from a biological perspective, we are pretty similar. It doesn't really matter whether you're from Bogota or from Billund in Denmark. Mm-hmm. You're from Tokyo or Toronto. Biology, our biology is roughly the same. So it really works across cultures. It transcends cultures. In my experience, yeah. So the stories they will come up with will probably be quite different, but they can. Sure, but the method in itself, yeah. But stories may vary as much within Denmark as as across the planet. Yeah. What from, from sort of as humans, we are more similar than we are different. I mean, traveling the world, of course, you see huge differences, but we can either focus on our similarity or our differences if we are to collaborate. Let's focus on our similarities. 
Yeah. yeah, it's uh we also developed something totally different by the way, but we also developed a game here to use in workshops and something very interesting we found while while we were testing it during a conference. There were some uh Japanese guests and they were attaching totally different stories to the cards we were using because the cards were uh had drawings and they refer to mm-hmm our European history, like more uh, medieval uh, history. Uh-huh, and it was very yeah. inspiring to see that actually the game was the same, but the stories that were coming out of people were yeah. so different. And yeah, yeah. See, that must've been fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. But I can, ima- yeah, I can imagine that that is kind of the same as well with the Lego brick, even though it has less a story already attached yeah. because it's something yeah. very universal. And I think so. that may be one of the differences so that the meaning that a given person gives to a given Lego element completely comes from them. So, so mm-hmm. the facilitator will never say, let's agree that, th- that this, that the window means transparency. So, so there it, it really becomes the, whether it's a Japanese or, or, a, or an Italian, they decide whether the green brick means X or if it means Y. Mm-hmm. Is it so that every culture is like a, also thinking in metaphorical ways or is that also something you think which some people do more easily and or is it also a universal thing from my understanding this would be both sort of anecdotal anecdotal experience and but also from my reading is that the use of metaphors is really something that's embedded in how our brains work mm-hmm. right now the metaphors we use then vary across cultures but the, the usage of metaphor is cross-cultural. Mm-hmm. So the easy example is, let's call it business culture. So if you're a certain generation, let's say that, and you've done business school, everybody knows a cash cow, right? Everybody knows mm-hmm. what a cash cow or a dog or any of those are because you went and you did the BCG matrix and these very vivid metaphors stays in your brain, right? So something is a star, something is a dog, something is a cash cow. Now, so these are just culturally embedded metaphors. So the mm-hmm. actual metaphors vary from culture to culture and the narratives that lives in those cultures. A, a snake, for example, means can be a metaphor for very different things. So the uses of metaphors seems to be, let's call it global, mm-hmm. but the particular cultures have certain embedded metaphors. But since we don't start with any predefined metaphors in serious play, the metaphors that come up in the group are specific or are particular to that group. So in a given group, and, and most of the groups that we actually work with, often are what you sometimes would call cross-cultural. So you have two or three from this country, and you have some from this, and you have from th- some from there, right? Mm-hmm. So the metaphors become unique for the particular group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So something we're always very interested in is uh, is design process. I'm quite curious about the design process of developing the method itself. So you talked about that a little bit, but I'm curious, like, how did you go from that initial idea, this research to the actual shape of the book and the choice in pieces that you ended up with? Trial and error. So (laughs) first of all, it was, it started off as an internal need inside Lego. So the owner of Lego wanted a different way of solving problems, right? So that's what he wanted. And that led to the early research, which almost worked. And the almost part meant that Robert Rasmussen was involved. 
and then it worked. And then we had to, and then I, I was involved in this later than Robert, but then I was involved when, in the process of making this, let's call it a concept that can be sold. Now, the owner of Lego decided to bring it out to the rest of the world from a perspective or from the perspective that he wanted, he could see that it worked and he could see that it made a difference for the people that were employed by him and for his own bottom line. So he wanted to take it out and help basically make a, make other, make, make a better world. It sounds a little bit grand, but wanted to, to help people unlock the full potential of the employees and of everybody in the organization for the sake of the individual, because it just feels better when you use your full potential and for the sake of the organizations. Mm-hmm. So in bringing it out to others, we had to really start becoming to be, become clear about what is it that works in this. So, so that, that intention is what you need in order to you know, start, let's call it innovating or improving on the right elements. So it was in that process. But it, 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 it took us maybe 10 years to reach a point where we really understood what is the method, frankly. <laughs> because in the beginning, we saw LEGO Series Play as a particular set of two or three pre-designed workshops, which we trained people in. So we trained them in running the particular workshop. Those workshops help particular problems. But then we realized that you know, there, there is a, there's a core process inside this. And then we started to really isolate that. It's almost like finding the active molecules in the medicine that we're providing, realizing that those were the molecules. Good to go back to my pharma metaphor from before. Those were the active molecules. And then figuring out which are ways that they can then be embedded in different processes. So, so it was a it was a lengthy process, and I'm not saying that it's finished yet at all. Mm-hmm. To isolate what we call the core process and the seven application techniques, which are which are techniques in which you apply the core process on a type of type of problem or in a particular way. Mm-hmm. So trial and error, and the actual bricks is the choice of bricks is through the same trial and error or action research, if you want to. In the early days, I believe Robert and his wife were trying out different combinations of bricks, putting them into um, bags, sitting in their own attic. So, so it's really this trial and error action. And are you still um, still trying, or do you feel like now it's uh, something finished, or are there still things changing uh, for the future? I think. I mean, if, I mean, if you ever read the book by Lampedusa about account on Sicily, he was the one who's coined the phrase of everything must change. Everything has to change to remain the same. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's still changing. We might have a, a, a sort of relatively clear idea about, you know, what are the core components, but that doesn't mean that we can't get a deeper understanding of what, why and how they work so that we improve on them. Yeah. So in, in that sense, it's, it is, it will always be continuous development mm-hmm. and improvement. Have you used the method with uh, both uh, public uh, services and uh, private companies? Yeah. So I think it's been used in almost any conceivable organization, mm-hmm. from private to public to somewhere in between the third sector, from large to small, mm-hmm. from startups to some of the largest in the world. 
Do you see or find any differences between those uh, industries or different types of, of businesses? We're all, no, we're all humans with an untapped mm. potential face with complex problems. Again, it's this notion of we are faced more or less with the same things. Hmm. Well, well, you can always, I mean, you can find, if you go back to culture, you can find particular issues. I mean, there might be a given organization which 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 has a, a, a lower power distance, right? You might mm-hmm. have an organization where they perceive themselves as creative. So, so there are different dynamics, absolutely. But it is just a language. You're giving a lot of train trainings to people. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering uh, who are the people you are training? What kind of roles do they normally have in organizations? Yeah. So it used to be in the good old days. No, it <laughs> used to be mostly consultants and facilitators, typically mm-hmm. people that had worked for one of the larger consultancies in the world and, and who then from their experience had learned that they didn't want to be consultants only, but also more like facilitators. So those were the people we worked with initially. Now it's a mix of this group still. So consultants and facilitators from from micro consultancies to sort of medium-sized. Then there is a sort of group of internal organizational development people to OD. There is a project management group, and there are there are managers who take it as part of developing their own leadership skills. Actually, we see this increasingly as well, and and, and then some academics. Mm-hmm. So a very broad group. <laughs> increasingly, very broad group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the consultants come from very different, um, let's call it uh, industries or domains as well: service design or agility, strategy. Uh, HR space, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We we are ourselves. We are service designers, and we also use the method uh, in our workshops. And what I personally always find one of the hardest things is after the workshop, you get people in this really nice flow during the workshop, and a lot of good ideas come out of it. But then afterwards, like together, taking it back to reality to say it like that and to actually mm-hmm. go further with the process that's one of the things uh which i find still the hardest do you have some tips for that <laughs> you put your fingers to the it, that's always hard right whether you mm-hmm. are in an organization or or let's come out think of many analogies also from private life you know when a married couple go to a counselor they sit there and they agree on all these changes they want to make <laughs> Or if you're religious, you go to church and you hear your priest talk and you go like, yep, I want to live according to that. And then once you're back in the old domain, it's really hard, right? I think some of the things that I find is, I mean, there's lots about how you design your workshop and how you close and what you end up with. But there is also an element of that the more you can bring some of the artifact artifacts from your workshop into your workspace, the better it is. The more you can bring the language from your workshop, so to say the metaphors from your workshop into your language in your workspace, the better it is. And there is, again, ample, there's research, but also, again, anecdotal uh, evidence to this fact that when they literally bring the Lego models into their workspace, into their office, this helps them 
initiate the change because mm-hmm. they get this continuous prompt reminding them of what they decided and what they agreed and what they wanted to, to become. So literally having the Lego model, uh, if it's a big shared model, they have it maybe in the reception area or in a, in a shared meeting space, or if it's like a personal action model, you, you have it on at your desk. So the prompt, just carrying with you the physical artifact from your workshop. That's it. Mm-hmm. That, for me, that, there's a good lot of good experience in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's reminding people back to uh, the stories that were told there and see yeah. Yeah. in their daily life how they could uh, bring uh, decisions back. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing the prompts in where, where you usually work so that so it doesn't have a finish in that smart, beautiful hotel where you did the workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also notice yeah, the, the metaphors is something that sticks to people's uh, yeah. brain. <laughs> like they yeah. often in conversations, then later on, they bring back the yeah. the metaphor that someone used in the workshop. So yeah. that's very that, useful that's as well. That's major. So, mm-hmm. so also the more that the, the, the manager, whatever manager role he or she possesses, but the more that they can help to to bring this language back to work and challenge people in terms of the behavior that the person is exhibiting, how that's in aligned with what they agreed in the workshop. So, you know, so-and-so and referring back to the penguin or the monkey or whatever metaphor they had in the model, the more likely it is to create sustainable change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about the manager. Is there like certain composition of the group that you think is important? Like who should be there whoever, in a session? Whoever is part of the problem and the solution should be in the room. Mm-hmm. It's very simple in my mind. You can't yeah. ask anyone to execute on a solution to, which where they weren't part of developing it. So there's no. an element of, I mean, if you're part of the problem or part of the solution, then you're in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's both the manager and the people Absolutely. working about it for Absolutely. it every day. Yeah. And never any observers. I never have observers. Mm-hmm. What do you mean with observers? Lots of organizations like their HR group or another group to sit in and, and see what's going on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't, doesn't sound like a I good mean, idea. You're either in or you're not in. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Either yeah. you play the game or you're out. Yeah. And and if you want to create a safe space, you 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 can't have people being observed. <laughs> if I'm going to stick my neck out and really share what I think, I would only do it if I see that you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you're either in or you're out. Uh, I'm, personally, I'm pretty strict on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you ever run into somebody who simply cannot take part in this method, who just doesn't get it or who Not yet. doesn't work? No? I have lots of people that said that this, I you know, doesn't work. Can't do it. But mm-hmm. they always can. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, uh, and But that, that's, as, as we spoke about before, that has more about, more to do with their own expectations to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had one uncomfortable situation once where uh-huh. it seemed somebody physically had issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they had uh, shaky hands and, uh, and I, it, it, that's something I'd never noticed before, but making the bricks, it became clear that, that they physically weren't able to, yeah, to, to perform even the simple tasks at the beginning. And uh, I'm, I was taken a little bit back by that <laughs> originally. But um, 
in the end, yeah. they, they did manage. They, they just had more simple and to the point limited models. <laughs> and it was the story yeah. that was bigger, but yeah. I've had the same experience and, and with, with people who had, who had physical issues, so to speak, with, with, um, uh, multiple sclerosis and, and similar diseases. And of course they struggle from a, from a pure motor skills perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they always overcome it. Somehow mm-hmm. they find a different technique. I've done this with uh, blind people. I've done this with deaf people. And yeah. Okay. How was that? <laughs> was oh, it also? Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get what strikes me, and this sounds terribly boring, I think, but what strikes me is that there is no difference. Hmm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you had watched my workshop with the blind people from a, you know, I don't have observers, but let's imagine that you were a fly and sitting on the wall and you were observing it. What would strike you was that, hey, you you wouldn't even know it if you knew it. That, that's almost the most striking part. Or maybe you would be able to see that they were working with their hands in a slightly different manner, but it, it, it would look like almost any other workshop. The key difference being here that when they were sharing the model or the meaning in their model, other people would be touching the model as they hear the story because this notion of seeing, they just see with their fingers instead of their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, what I also always find that works really well is that everyone first has to build like their own model and explain mm-hmm. a little bit about it. And then later on you work in a group. Mm-hmm. So you make sure that everyone first already is able to uh, explain their own uh, ideas and their own meaning behind certain stuff. And only then you bring it together. And still exactly. by bringing it together, you you uh, let everyone have a word in the conversation. I think exactly. that's very strong as well. Exactly. Yeah, so this is all about avoiding, or at least trying to avoid priming and anchoring of each other. And it's a way to allow, you know, as, you, as you say, but allow people to express in an uninterrupted way and this notion of being able to project your meaning into a model also means that even people that feel less secure or see themselves as introverted or see themselves as shy or new to the company, they have a physical construct, they have an artifact that's there. And, and, and so the conversation can go through that. Yeah, one example that I once experienced was it was in a context of an uh, educational organization and we invited one teacher as well who was kind of the um in Dutch we would say the weird duck in the in the group. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I don't know if it's actually an English thing. But uh and she in the beginning of the workshop she she wasn't really getting into it. And then when mm-hmm. we used the uh, the method all of a sudden she was bringing so many much nice stories to the table and people yeah. were really listening to her and then the whole workshop was about uh focusing on what teachers think and that was very beautiful i think to uh, a very quiet person who was maybe not thinking she could add something there mm-hmm. that she really her ideas really got like became very important in this uh in this workshop yeah, yeah and that is a, that's a, an amazing moment when that happens i feel yeah, and she was also the one saying in the beginning, "I cannot do this. I, <laughs> it's been twenty years. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm not creative." <laughs> yep. So yeah, that was amazing to see. I think how it can totally turn in the other way, in the other direction. And it really comes back to this thing we spoke about at the beginning that there is no one who is not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think that's something. Told a million times that we are not, and yeah, (laughs) forced to think in ways that may not really reflect or mirror the way that our brains have evolved. Yeah, I think that's an important pillar in in service design in general, where everybody's input is is important, and uh, Mm. everybody can add their little bit uh, to to the big idea that uh, comes out at the end. Is there a group of people that you would love to uh, do a, a serious play workshop with that you haven't been able to do yet? Ooh. Like maybe politicians or... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be an... I'll tell you why I wouldn't want to do politicians. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe if we could really create a safe space, but mm-hmm. I think most of the politicians that we... We have in our world right now, and I don't care if it's right wing or left wing. Mm. I think they're so used to guarding every step they take and mm. weighing every single word, not saying what they mean, but saying what they think will get them somewhere where maybe they they can do what they want to do. Mm. So I think that would be a really terrible workshop, <laughs> frankly. Mm. It would be great if it would even work with politicians, though. <laughs> it probably would, but I think it would be really, really hard to create the safe space where they would realize that, hey, they're not going to get whacked over the head. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just going into the politician space. I mean, when, when we have politicians like that, it's only because we've created them, of course, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get what we ask for. True. But that's mm-hmm. a whole different conversation that we may not want to have right now. Yes. Um, so... Yeah. I think, honestly, I think I'm in a really lucky position that I get to work with a lot of different types of organizations and pro bono work once in a while where you meet people that wouldn't be able to pay for you. So I'm I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty <laughs> uh, fortunate yeah. when it comes to that. So how, how does it work if uh, people want to uh, become Lego Series play facilitators themselves? What are the steps to take? That's relatively simple. Then, then, then we, in our association, which is formed by initially Robert and myself, um, as a way of sort of creating what, what in the good old days would be called a guild. So the association of master trainers, we, all the members of that, we call it 10 trainers. We offer these four-day certification programs uh, more or less all over the world. We are not really sub-Saharan Africa yet. But, but we so, so that's that's relatively simple to um, to go to to serious play dot training and then there um, the programs are listed and we mm-hmm. we are ten different trainers but we we've offered the exact same program using the exact same material and that's for us also a way to create a global community where it's relatively easy for for someone sitting in in the Netherlands to share experiences and roadmaps and solutions with someone sitting in, uh, let's say, Santiago or Kuala Lumpur, where I'm going next week. So to have a to have a, sh- a shared language so that we can share experiences across countries and cultures and industries. Mm-hmm. I love the term master trainer, by the way, especially mm-hmm. now with the Lego movie and the uh, association oh, yeah. with the master builder. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't even think of that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel about is it something that people can um, can uh, teach themselves based on uh, uh, instructions online and youtube no, videos so. or it's something you really need to yeah i really think that this is something you need to learn in person i think trying 
if I had said, yeah, you can learn this from a, from a podcast or from reading the book, then it would be like negating the whole method. Now, the whole Lego series play is an experiential method. So saying that you can read how to do an experiential method, that's like negating the actual method. Mm-hmm. We say that the best way to learn things and create new knowledge is hands-on. So you also need to learn the method hands-on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's like you can't read yourself into how to ride a bicycle. You need to go on the bicycle. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really strongly believe that you can read about this method. You can understand the theory behind it, but you need to experience the method to learn the method. Mm-hmm. That's a strong learning over these last 16 years. Yeah. And, and we can have you... a long conversation about whether you need two days or eight days or 15 days or whatever you need. Mm-hmm. But, but you, need to, um, you need to experience it. And yeah. personally, I, I once took a, a coaching degree. And similarly there, the experience, I mean, the, the experience part of the coaching is also important. You need to see the coaching going on. You need to practice the coaching. You need to get live feedback on the coaching. Then you can go back and you can study your coaching. You can learn about how the brain works and you can read about good questions. You, but you need, to, you need to do it to learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where can people find out more about these uh, trainings? Seriousplay.training. There they will get an overview of the different yes. locations, yeah. timings. Okay. Exactly. Yes, of, um, and the different trainers where we offer the sessions. And that's a good way. Okay. So, you know, the method, I think, that you know, going on that website can also give you some background. Um, in my humble opinion, Robert and I wrote a marvelous book <laughs> about it called Building a Better Business Using the Lego Series Play Method, which I think... Mm-hmm which I've heard is a good introduction to the method and the theories as well. We, we put a fair bit of emphasis on understanding the theories because you need, to, so you need to feel that these theories are reasonably good explanations as to how the world works. And, and you should also sort of, on a, from a values perspective, feel aligned with this because there is a set of values in serious place saying that everybody knows a part of the answer. Uh, if you don't think so, if you think that the manager knows the entire answer, then this is not a good method. If you're not comfortable with that, with a question-driven method, then this is probably not a good process for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. We will definitely add the link to the trainings and the, of the book, etc., uh, <laughs> in our show notes so people can uh, can look it up. <laughs> is there something else you would like to say to the to the audience? I think, no. I think the key, no, there's always something you want to say, right? But I think one of the things <laughs> I really would like, if, if we lift ourselves beyond Lego Series Play, you know that I find that's a perfectly valid place to stay. But I, I would love if we, in our dominant global culture, let's call it that, would sort of put play back to where it belongs, right? Because I think, I think we have, um, I think play is, has been cornered a little bit as, as, it's something you do when you take a break. Whereas if you look at play, what it does, it's like a, it's like a fertilizer for the brain. It's, it's a great way for the brain to create new learning. It's a great way to create social bonding between people. So I think we need to put play back into schools. I think we need to put good play back into work. Not frivolous play. Now, I'm not talking about foosball tables, but, but actually using the characteristics of play to create more knowledge. I think that, that's, that's where we need to go. Mm-hmm. And I think in particular in a world where artificial intelligence can solve more and more of our problems. One of the things that we can do 
is we can use our consciousness and play to carve out the uh, elements that um, right. machines can't do yet. I think uh, that's a very nice point to, to end our conversation. We're all going to put playback where it belongs. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting and inspiring to talk to you. And I, uh, I hope uh, a lot of people will also be uh, triggered to get to know more about Lego Serious Play and try it out for themselves. Absolutely. So, uh, as we said, uh, we'll be adding all the links to uh, the trainings, uh, uh, etc. in our show notes. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, reach out to you, where can they find you? So, either by email, and I'll give you my short email address, so per, P-E-R, at T-R-I-V-I-U-M dot D-K, so per at trivium dot D-K, or on Twitter, where I am per, and then underscore L-S-P. That's my Twitter uh, account. So those would be two good ways to do it, I would say. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot and uh, good luck with your many uh, workshops to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight by Hydrogen C, featuring I Will, I Swear. Until next time.